Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I've been reading this book by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing, and uh, it will set the framework for this series we are in. I, I usually spend quite a bit of time thinking and praying about messages that I bring and series that I bring, and uh, this was one of them. I said, Lord, what would be the most beneficial for our people during the Advent season? And I thought about all the stories, Mary, Joseph, and I go, you know, a lot of people know that stuff, Lord. I mean, we don't want to discount it. It's important. And Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about it. And December 23rd, our kids who are really working hard, you would be so proud of our kids when you go home and take naps in the afternoon or do whatever you do, chores around the house or, or mow the grass or wash the car or watch football. Kids are here working diligently and uh, Melissa Paz and our team of volunteers are helping to get them to do their best. And so you're going to have the, the Christmas story. But I began to think about the fact that we live in a world filled with anxiety. I mean, it is full of anxiety. Lompoc, one of the most beautiful places on the planet, has people in it that are filled with anxiety. It's a low-grade fear, a cold wind that will not stop howling, an edginess. It's not so much a storm, but a hunch that maybe certainly a storm is on its way. Around every bend, there will be a problem. Around every tree in the forest, there's obviously a mama bear with her cubs. And I will invade her space, and she will come after me. There's trouble out there. Be careful. Be careful. I know you got a full tank of gas, but you might run out going across town. If someone is laughing and enjoying life, they're probably faking it. How dare you whistle while you walk? What's wrong with you? Scowling faces. The other shoe always falls. I don't fall on my head. There's danger out there. Things happen. There's no free lunch. It's just a matter of time. It's an overwhelming sense of the what ifs. And maybe you've been in that dilemma, or you know someone who is there, or you live with somebody who's always what-ifing you. What if we can't afford the things we need? Or if you're a parent, what if we can't afford braces on our kid's teeth? What if her teeth are crooked, and he or she never has a boyfriend or a girlfriend and never marries, and someday they're standing on a street corner with a cardboard sign, my parents didn't get me braces. What if? It's part Chicken Little and part Eeyore. The sky is falling, and it's falling disproportionately upon me. If we listen to the average conversation today, we will hear it peppered with anxiety. Words like, I'm stressed, I'm worried, I'm nervous, I'm tense, I'm panicky, I'm afraid, I'm overwhelmed, I'm sad, I'm down, and the forecast is gloomy. It's the lady who told me this past week, I'm so sick and tired of our drought, and I can't believe it's actually raining, and I hate the rain. (laughs) You should try being a pastor. I don't even know her. She just walked up to me out of the blue. I was getting myself a hot tea at Starbucks. I don't know this woman, but she obviously knows me. Pastor, I hate the drought, and I hate that it's raining. 
Anxiety makes us breathless. Not breathless in awe and wonder, but breathless. We lose our joy. The devil's purpose not only is evil, the devil's purpose is to rob, steal, and kill the joy of the Lord that becomes your strength in your life. And if he can take you away from being a joyful, rejoicing person, he will pretty much disable your ability to be effective for the kingdom of God. Psychologist Robert Leahy says that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Hmm. Fourth grade girl, true, true story. Not, not my granddaughter, but a fourth grade girl, true story, came up to me and she said, do you worry? I thought, that's an odd question for a fourth grade girl to ask. Do you worry? I said, do you, sweetheart? She said, every night. We had an active shooter drill at our school. Do you know, pastor, that people shoot people because they're sick in the head or because they're mad and angry? Pastor, do you think somebody's going to take a gun to my school? Hmm. She's only in the fourth grade, but her whole life span, which is not very long for us old people, has been about terror and active shooters and Thousand Oaks, borderline. That's what she knows. So I would have to agree with Robert Leahy. But with anxiety being so prevalent, is God naive that he would speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and Paul would write down or have someone scribe for him, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for or nothing. What is God trying to say to us? Now, in this series, I'll be speaking to you as a pastor, but also a fellow sojourner in the faith. Because I must confess, and I don't think you would confess, and probably none of you here will fit this bill. That would be probably our 8 o'clockers or our 1045ers or you online who are home wearing your furry slippers, eating oatmeal, watching our sermon. You should come down here. It's pretty cool. Anyway, anyway, these are nice people, by the way. They're safe, right? You're safe and sane? Okay, three people are safe and sane, but we want you to come anyway. Yeah, yeah. But as a fellow sojourner, I've had moments in my life where anxiety has risen its ugly head. As a pastor and a leader, working with people and a chaplain with our police and fire department, I... I, I, I've seen moments where anxiety rises within me too, and I know that wouldn't be your case. So as a pastor, I want to say I'm not a doctor and I'm not a therapist, not a professional counselor. And I want to say up front that if you are in therapy or receiving medication for anti-depression and uh, anti-anxiety, that you're not a second-class Christian. I just want to say that. I have a pastor friend uh, not anybody that has spoken here, i got to clarify, of a very, very, very large ministry. And he takes anti-anxiety medication. And he told me one time that he told another pastor that, and that pastor said, well, that's just because you have a lack of faith. Now, I'm here to say to you that if you're under a doctor's care or a therapist's care, keep going, keep doing, keep doing what they're telling you to do. And somehow in this season through this series, Couple all of that. Don't stop any of that. Couple all of that 
with faith in God and some of the steps you're going to learn here. By the way, I thank God for medications and counselors and therapists who have the wisdom of God to treat patients. Anybody else? You okay with that? Good, good. So I don't want anybody to hear me say, well, throw away all your meds now, Uh, right? But I want us to go to this passage of Scripture. It's Philippians 4, 4 to 7, and it starts this way. Rejoice in the Lord when all is well. When? Always. And let's read the rest, can we? And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for, be anxious for, be anxious for, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, wow, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the verse I believe God wants us to overlay on our lives in this season of December and January. This is the passage you should memorize and have in your hip pocket. Now, does God really intend that we would never be anxious? I don't think so. Actually, I believe it's a life of perpetual anxiety that the Apostle Paul is addressing here. In your notes, write this down. I believe it's helpful. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. Thank God, I feel okay now. But the prison of anxiety is optional. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Question, how many have ever been to any of the Hawaiian Islands? Any of you? Okay. And unless you're from there, you know what you're called, right? You're a haole. They say it like this, haole. Haole. Dakain haole. Yeah. Now, I know people go there and they go, look, we're, we're Hawaiian. Yeah, yeah. Hang loose, shaka. You know, and they, they laugh at you. I thought I'd tell you that because I know a lot of born on the island people. You know what the word howly means? Out of breath. Because when the white man came to the islands, they were running around scurrying so much, building things, establishing businesses that they said, look at them, they're out of breath. They come to sometimes watch the sunset and do nothing. We live here. We go in the backyard and make huli huli chicken. Huli huli means to turn over. Like if you're in an outrigger canoe, you do not want a huli. That means the canoe went over. Yeah. I've been to Hawaii a few times. I have some friends who live there and serve there and some pastor friends that live there. And and, uh, they marvel at even when people come to vacation they fill their vacation with itinerary of stuff, and they say, that's howly. They're breathless, out of breath. <sighs> yeah. Uh, the Latin word for anxiety means to choke out or to squeeze out the life from inside of you. Think about that. Hey, question, what's choking your life? What's squeezing you tight? How are you trying to be in control or... Maybe control others? What's leaving you breathless? Not in wonder and amazement, but with the weight of anxiety. Jesus one time said in John 16, in this world you'll have what? 
trouble, but, but take heart. In other words, don't let your heart fall apart over things, over trouble, because I've overcome the world. Troubles produce anxiety. Anybody want to say duh? Yeah. Anxiety is an emotion, but not a sin. Yet anxiety can lead us to sin. Anxiety can lead us to destructive behaviors. Faith is when we live in obedience in things that we can control. We talked about it last week, looking at the serenity prayer. Give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference and those things that I can't change. See, to be anxious for nothing, we must stabilize our soul with the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things. Now, he doesn't cause every storm, but even in the storm, he's still present. He doesn't cause every issue. I think about some in our church who are the parents of adult children, And we try to support them and and love them and guide them. But the choices they make are theirs to own. Let me say this again. The choices that your adult kids make are theirs to own. And if you try to fix all of their messes, you'll have anxiety. And here's what I found. I I know a couple not in our church, so I'm not talking about anybody here. Uh, But I know a couple outside of our church. Their adult kid keeps making dumb, stupid, idiotic imbecilic decisions. And they're the ones feeling the weight of the anxiety. The kid feels no weight at all because here comes mom and dad to clean my mess again. Here they fix me up, fix me up, fix me up, fix me up. So, so I actually sought the kid out. I said, do you even care what happens to you? Heck no. What about tomorrow? I don't care. I said, your parents do. He goes, Exactly. They'll be back to help me again. I thought, wow. See, listen, listen, listen. All of us now, don't own someone else's anxiety. Don't take someone else's life on your life and say, I'm going to feel all your pain and all your... Now, I'm not saying don't love people and care for people, but see, to be anxious for nothing, we must stabilize our soul with the sovereignty of God. Lord, I give you the situation. I give you the kid. I give you my circumstances. I, I, I give their lives to you. Ephesians 1.11 says, Our God works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. So whatever might be coming against us or might be a difficulty, God's plan cannot be stopped. I love that. Hebrews 1.3, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Sustaining what? All things by his powerful word. God either is sovereign or he's not. He either has the ability to transform, he either has the ability to sustain life, or he does not. I, I was thinking about, as I was reading Max's book, the story's not in there, but I was thinking about this very familiar story. These fishermen are in a boat. They're boat builders. They know all about the water. They know all about looking at the sunset and sunrise, knowing how the weather's going to be for the day. And they're out in the middle of this boat. It's supposed to be a good day of fishing. And the storm comes. You could just jot down Luke 8 and read it later on. The storm comes, and Jesus is sleeping in a boat. And, And here's what these seasoned fishermen say. We are going to drown. Their anxiety level is way 
up here. And the first thing I always know when I read that story is they forget Jesus is in their boat. Well, here's a lesson for us. It's easy when the storms come, when the, when the troubles come. Jesus says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But, but notice what they're doing. These burly fishermen, these, 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 these men with big arms, and, right? They bite the heads off of fish. I mean, these are guys. They're not wimps. Oh, we're going to drown. The first thing they do when the storm comes, they forget that the Lord God is with them. God in flesh, hail the incarnate deity, the Advent season. He's in their boat, and all they can think about, listen, is the storm. And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the raging waters, the scriptures say, and all is calm. Where's your faith, guys? That's what he says to the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this guy who calms even the winds and the water that they obey him? See, all is calm. We're going to talk about calm today. And in Max Lucado's book, I want to give him due credit, he writes about calm, C-A-L-M, calm. Anybody need some calm right now? You don't have to say it out loud. Anybody just say, Lord, calm my heart. Lord, bring a sense of calm to us. A sense of calm to our city and our county and our state and our country. A sense of calm, a sense of trust in God's sovereignty. Well, the sea in calm is celebrate God's goodness. Celebrate God's goodness. See, to celebrate God's goodness doesn't mean you celebrate every circumstance that comes your way. But you celebrate that God is God. You celebrate that you know him. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior through Jesus Christ and your belief in him, then you need to do that so you can begin to celebrate the goodness of God. Paul knew that if you stop rejoicing, your anxiety would rise. Paul knew that if you stop rejoicing always, you wouldn't whistle very much anymore. There'd be no spring in your step. And while you're alive, you may lose the will to really live to really care, to really engage with other people. There's a weight that pulls you down. Rejoice when you're in the storm. See, what you celebrate is not the storm. What you celebrate is the goodness of God and that he's with you. There's a story in the Bible, uh, a man named Joseph. No doubt you know this story well. And in this series, I'll pick stories that many of us heard either in Sunday school or some preacher somewhere. But you know that Joseph was... was was the victim of human trafficking before human trafficking was a word. He sold by his brother to slave traders. He ends up in Egypt and then in prison through being wrongly accused of a crime he did not commit. You want to talk about anxiety? And his brothers were so callous, they even lied to their father that Joseph was dead. And his dad's mourning the passing of his son who actually is alive in prison for many years. And through the series of God-ordained events, he moves from the prison to the palace and becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And years later, Joseph is confronted by his brothers who would have died in a famine, except that Joseph was now the prime minister who, when the seasons were plentiful, he took the grain and he, and he hoarded it in barns. When the famine came, he'd be able to feed 
the people of Egypt. What a beautiful story. And his brothers come to him. And he doesn't say, I thank God for the prison. I thank God for your evilness. No, all he simply says is this. You intended to harm me, but the sovereign God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of many lives. So don't you guys be afraid because there'll be no retribution here from me because I don't serve you. I serve God. And I will live into God's purposes. He doesn't say, I'm so glad that I was sold into slavery. What he says is, I'm glad for the purposes of God. You intended, catch this, to harm me, but God intended it for good. But God. Hey, here's an assignment for you, Bible scholars or guys that love to, gals that love to study the Bible. Just, just do a research on all the but gods in the Bible. We are sinners, but God who's rich in mercy. Maybe like that? We should be damned to eternal judgment. But God, who allowed his son to be the sacrifice for us all, but God, but God, but God. There's a storm going on. Hell is breaking loose around me. But God is sovereign. But God is with us. Celebrating God's goodness happens when hard circumstances are followed by but God, but God, but God. And because of but God, this storm is not my story. It's a page. It's a chapter. But God will not allow this storm to be the end of my story. He has more for me. He has grace for me. And I love this very familiar verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that, let's read it, in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. By the way, there's a caveat here. This is not a scripture for everybody who lives in our city. It's not a scripture for everybody who lives in our county or our state. This is a scripture for people who love God. Now notice, for the good, for those who love God, have been called according to his purpose. If you read all of Romans, the context is this. These are people who have recognized that God is their Savior. These are people who have confessed with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. He'll say that later in chapter 10. These are people, Romans chapter 3, who recognize that there's justification, there's salvation. It's a gift from God, not that anybody should boast. So if you're called by God, if you've given your life to God, if you're doing your best, to live for his purpose, everything that happens to you, he will work for good. Now, let me just say this. It doesn't mean every storm is because of him. But he'll take every storm, and he'll make it work together for good if you love him. Stay loving him. By the way, stay loving him. I mean, stay, stay loving him. Stay rejoicing in him. Learning how to celebrate God's goodness always is the first step to finding calm in a chaotic world. So now the second thing, letter A, ask God for help. Uh, the reason this is so important is, and this is not Lucato, this is Fetterman talking, okay? The reason this is so important is some of you people are so stinking good at what you do. You're capable of making money out of nothing. 
Some of you are capable of running your household and your family. And some of you are capable of being good parents and grandparents. Some of you are great at your job. We are so good that if we don't know what to do, we can just Google it. That was a while back. Our washing machine took a dive, and I thought, well, okay. And next thing I know, my wife, Debbie, she's very resourceful. She's looking on YouTube how to fix a thing. So a couple of days later, this, this part comes. And I go, what? Leave me alone. I, I got this. Okay, babe. Hey, I'm not going to have any anxiety over this. Because she's very capable, very handy, very competent. She's got their phone. I'll take the screw and turn it. And, all right, pull the thing. And put the, she put the, the part in. I mean, I don't know. It was $19 part. It was going to be $300 service call. I like her. <laughs> I do. Some of you love your spouse. You don't like them. I like her. Because she's so resourceful. And some of you go to WebMD. You ever been to WebMD? I had a little itch on my shoulder. So I, itchy right shoulder. By the time I got to the bottom, it said that I was going to have a brain aneurysm and die in 30 minutes. You got to be careful what you read, right? But some of us are so competent and capable. We don't ask God for help very often. It was the last time you just, you please, Lord... I need your help. I can't go through this day without you. I can't go to this business meeting without you. I can't face retirement without you. I can't face this promotion without you. I don't, Lord, I'm a senior in high school. What am I going to do next? I need your help. I need your help. I'm a fourth grader, and I'm worried about my campus. I need your help. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving... Not grumbling. That's interesting. Let your requests be made known to God. See, worry is our emotions telling us that we're being invited to pray. Hey, this is overwhelming to me. <gasps> what do I do? Well, let's just worry some more. WebMD. Itchy shoulder. I'm going to die in 30 minutes, honey. <laughs> worry, Oswald Chambers said, is unconsciously, unconscious blasphemy against God because it shows a lack of trust and God's care for us. And then L, by the way, we're going to talk about more of these as this series progresses. L is leave my concerns with God. When we let our requests be made known to God, we also leave our concerns. Have you ever been in the presence of God and left your concerns there only to walk away and feel the ball and chain of your concerns following you or weighing you down? See, a lot of people give their concerns to God, and then the next thing you know, they're texting people or Facebooking about it or calling somebody. Oh, it's so terrible, my life. 30 seconds ago, you were in God. Lord, I trust you. We have got to train ourselves to trust in the Lord, to, to worship God. See, prayer is not simply voicing your concerns to God, but trusting that God cares enough to take them on. Anybody here have dog as a pet ever in your life, dog? I'm not going to talk about cats because you know my, some of you know my feelings. I was raised with cats, so I, I know of which I speak. But Pastor, I have the best cat. Come to my house. God bless you. I, that's good. I'm glad you do. That's why we're going to talk about dogs for a moment. Whenever we've had a dog, we have learned 
that we have to teach them to go to the bathroom outside. Anybody ever had a dog that made a mistake or had an oops? Come on. You had an oops? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Here's what I know about dog training. You ready? Pastor B, 101 dog training. Consistency. Oh, that's sorry, Fido. Uh, and you sit on the couch and let that marinate in your carpet or your hardwood floor or your laminate floor. No, no. You go and clean it up. I actually saw a video once, rub their nose in it and put them outside, you know, let them do their thing, right? Got it. So what I know is this, consistency and reward. You went potty outside. Go potty, Fido. Fido does his little job. Yay, Fido. Sound like Robbie Booth. Yay, Fido. Way to go, Fido, right? Little treat, little reward. Am I kind of right? Consistency. I realize that our souls need to be trained. And if we don't keep them in training, then eventually they'll drift. If you start rejoicing in the Lord and you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep consistently, you'll have a heart of rejoicing. But if you start rejoicing and you move to complaining real quick and whining, Rub your nose in it and start rejoicing. Give your worries to God consistently. There's an old line that says, we lay it down and then we pray it up. Lord, I lay at your feet my problems, my troubles, and I now lift them to you. And we walk in freedom. As we feel that ball and chain, excuse me, you, you can't follow me. I'm going to be weighed down in life. Why, why do I use that phrase? Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart. But a kind word cheers it up. Anxiety weighs down your heart. Howly, you're out of breath. It's too much to carry. There are things that we carry in our lives today, in 2018, about to be 2019, that God never intended for us to carry. I want to say something, and some of you aren't going to like it, but that's okay. At least come back next week. I don't think God ever intended the human soul to have imagery and information at the speed and with the vivid imagery coming to us at the speed of whatever Wi-Fi you have. It's just too much. It's an overload. It's an overload. That's why in our country we have so many people, and rightfully so, dealing with PTSD. Our bodies were never intended to see and to see and to see and to feel and to hear over and over. That's why that fourth grade girl said, Pastor B, do you worry? She's in fourth grade for crying out loud. Somehow she, she, she knows about other school shootings or mall shootings or the borderline shooting. She's in fourth grade. Her little soul in fourth grade, bless her heart, was never intended have that much information. Are you following me? Information. Every once in a while, I just got to put down my device and say, Lord, help me live in this moment right in front of me or with the person that I'm, I'm with. It, it's hard work. You tell a young person to put their cell phone away for a day, they start having Parkinson's. <laughs> I'm serious. I've watched it happen. 
I've seen people actually reach into their pocket because they think it's vibrating. The phone's not even there. Vicarious vibration. Lady, go and look through her purse. What are you looking for? My phone. You left it in your car. But it's going off right now. It's not ringing, ma'am. Huh? All right, I'll get back to the message. We have to leave things with God. You got it? All right. M, meditate on good things. Now, we're not big on meditation in North American Christianity. We're not big on meditation. Other countries are big on it. I have a friend who's Japanese. He's a big meditation guy. I said, what, what do you do when you meditate? He said, I close my eyes. Oh, that's good. I can do that. No, I close my eyes. You're not there. I'm thinking about whatever I'm thinking about. I said, oh, can you teach me how to meditate? True story. He said, okay, close your eyes. By the way, close your eyes. Close your eyes, watching online, unless you're driving. Close your eyes. And some people drive and watch our sermons online. I'm going to give you a phrase, and I want you to meditate on it, okay? It's a color. The color is red. And I want you to think about red. The color red. Just tune everything else out. The color red. Okay? Let's pretend we did this for 30 minutes. Okay, good. Now open your eyes. What did you see? Huh? Pomegranate? Pomegranate. Anybody else in the room, pomegranate? You, pomegranate? Oh, the blood of Christ. See, she's being spiritual in church. Pomegranate, blood of Christ. I got it. I got it. By the way, I think it's cool, pomegranate. By the way, if you get pomegranate juice on you, on your white shirt, Ray, pomegranate juice, you'd have, you'd have, yeah. You're thinking about what? Kansas City Chiefs. They play the Raiders. He's a Raiders fan. Pray for him. Okay. What else? He said, blood of Christ. What else? I can't hear from here. A wall? A brick wall. Red, that's right. Fire truck. Woo! Pray for our firemen, by the way, will you? What? Stoplight. A loud stoplight. <laughs> no, do you see what just happened? And if we spent more time, you'd be thinking of ladies, red dress, red shoes, red purse, how classy. Red trees in the White House this year? Boy, poor Melania Trump. She got criticized for red trees. I went online and looked at them. They're incredibly classy. And guess who's selling them all? Wayfair. Ikea, they all have red trees now. They're in on the market, red trees. I told Melissa and our team, how about red trees in here? They said, no. So anyway, <laughs> but, but you see what your minds did. How about this? The love of God. When you close your eyes, my Japanese friend, the love of God. How about this? When you read the scriptures like we do here, and I hope you would start doing it if you don't. You get a Bible bookmark from, I guess services are free, and you read the scriptures that many of us in the church are reading, and you think about the scripture that speaks to you the most, and then you write down an observation, and you write down an application, you meditate and say, Lord, how does this scripture apply to me? 
Not just, I read the verse today, but how does it apply to me? And then you write a prayer, S-O-A-P, S-O-A-P, soap. And we meditate. Years ago, I had a couple, they were on their way to divorce court. They've been to the therapist, they've been to a counselor, they exhausted their insurance counseling, uh, and she convinced him to make one more try at it. And they came to me after six months of licensed therapy and counseling, they came to me and said, you're our last ditch effort. <laughs> well, thanks for bringing me on board early. And I remember like yesterday, I just heard a whisper and I went right to the scripture that's on the screen, Philippians 4, 8. I said, here's my prescription for you to save your marriage, if you'll do the homework. What homework? And he had a stack of books that he'd been given to read. You know, all these great teachers, and she had books from Beth Moore and Joyce Meyer, and they had all, I said, how's it working for you? We're on our way to divorce court. I said, those books are worthless, unless you'll do the work. I said, here's my homework assignment. For the next 30 days, you can only speak to each other and in your house, these are house rules, what is true. So when you say she's just like her mother, that's not true. Whatever is noble, you know what noble is? Another word for noble is generous. You know what nobility is? That's all of us. If we're in Christ, we're a part of a kingdom where Jesus Christ is the king of kings. We, we get to serve with the kingdom of God, we're, we're nobility. What's becoming a noble? Not profanity. Only get to speak what's right. Only get to speak what's pure. Only get to speak things that are lovely to each other, that are uplifting, that's admirable. And if it's praiseworthy or excellent, is it worth giving praise to God for? Lord God, I thank you for my wife. We're going through a horrible season, but God, she's still here and I love her. That's praiseworthy. Think about such things. Meditate. And here's your assignment for this Christmas season. This is one of the passages we're going to keep looking at. Meditate on this stuff. Lord, what's true? Oh, you love me? Even though I don't feel loved, but you love me? That's true. I'm going to think about your love. The color red? No, I'm going to think about what's right. I'm going to think about what's noble. I'm going to think about what's pure. I'm going to think about what's lovely. I'm going to think about what's admirable. Oh, God, may my mind be changed. By the way, a lot of Christians miss this. I'm going to tell you this. I've been working hard on this in my own life. A lot of Christians miss this. You could have your soul changed. You could have your, your, your eternity changed by Jesus Christ and still not change your mind. Romans 12 says we renew our minds, the thinking of our mind. As a man thinks, so is he. We renew the way we think about God. We think about ourselves. See, finding calm in a chaotic world means not only leaving our concerns with God, but then filling our minds with good things. Hmm. Ralph Martin in his New Testament uh, commentary says, the recalling of God's goodness and mercy will save us from the many pitfalls which await the ungrateful soul, including over-concern with our immediate problems, forgetfulness of God's gracious dealings with us in the past, and disregard of the needs of others who are less fortunate than we are. That's a powerful statement. When has God been good to you? 
When has God done some amazing things to you? Uh, some of you know a story about me years ago. Uh, I, I was on a TV show, and I had my car uh, redone, and uh, it was amazing. And uh, 11,000 applications, they did nine cars that season. It was on Discovery Channel, later Velocity Channel, now it's called Motor Trend. Uh, it's been on over 145 times in reruns. It's been on in Japan and Australia and everywhere else. I get emails from people, you that pastor with the Camaro? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Every time I get in that car, every time I wipe that car down, every time I feel the 495 foot-pounds of torque, or the 525 horsepower that come out of the 427 engine. <clears throat> I was going to say powered by a Prius engine, but anyway. <laughs> Everything was free. People who never met me worked on my car hours and hours. People that never met me donated products and, and, and parts and transmissions and, and did the leather interior and people that and my wife nominated me. Every time I get in that car, I think of her. Every time I get in that car and I smell the unburnt fuel, <laughs> I think of all those people. I think of people like Chip Foose and the rest who, who worked on it with their hands. And I think about a guy named Mark Bowler. I never met him. He provided the transmission and the, and the shifter and the shift knob. He said, I prayed over that knob because I'm a Christian man. And I figured this pastor's hands would touch that knob, and, and I wrote him the nicest card, and, and he and I correspond every once in a while. And He said, I put some trick gears in that for you when you're driving on the highway. You, you, you feel it. I worked on that myself, he said. I prayed over that shift. Just, just to think about that. Anybody ever do something for you, and you have what they did? And what does it cause you to do? It causes you to say, God, I rejoice in this. Every time you get a paycheck, hello? Every time money goes into your account from your employer, oh, God, thank you for them. Not griping about, well, I work so hard, they need to give me a raise. They, they could cut you tomorrow and you'd have no income. Hello? Come on. Every time you see something that someone else has invested in, see, this is the heart of God. When we think about the day he's given us, the beautiful sunset, the rain that falls, the food you'll eat today, the air that you'll breathe. God, every time I turn around, it's a remembrance that you did it, that you did something. God, that you blessed me. If you have family and friends, God, thank you for my family and my friends. If you go to school, thank you for my school. Yeah, well, look at the chip paint over here. No, no, forget that. Thank God for your teachers who invest in you, the principals who serve so well. We have to change the way we think. Otherwise, anxiety will overwhelm us. Thank you, guys. So here's the last closing. You ready? Celebrate. Okay, celebrate God's goodness. Ask God for help. Come on, read them with me. Leave our concerns where? And meditate on good things. Celebrate God's goodness. Ask God for help. Leave our concerns with God and meditate on good things. Put a comma there. We'll be back next week. I hope you are. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.